Faye, I think one of the most common questions that I hear from our listeners is, what do we use to study? Obviously, like we have the luxury of being able to sit here and do the podcast, but sometimes, I don't know about you, but I definitely need a little bit of help. Yeah, definitely. I mean, other than just going through the huge list of practice bulletins and committee opinions and all of that stuff, I actually really like using the OBG project, which you can find at www.obgproject.com, simply because they put all of this in nice, neat little categories and have really good summaries that you can access and get to all the time. And as a super special for chief residents, you can get access to their premium product, OBG First, for absolutely free. The details are on our website, but essentially what this is, is your personalized library of OBG Project summaries, latest clinical studies, um, and it all comes to your phone too, easily by email or text, whatever you prefer. We'll be including the link to sign up on our website, but all you have to do is put in your name, your email address, and your program just so that they can confirm that you are indeed a fourth year resident. And then they'll send you a coupon and you can get OBG first free for one whole year. Head on over to www.creogsovercoffee.com and find out how you can get OBG first. Welcome back. This is Faye. This is Nick. And this is Kriyaz over Over Coffee. Coffee. Today we'll be talking about vaccines in pregnancy. And stay tuned for next time when we'll talk about vaccines after pregnancy. So, Nick, what are our learning objectives for today? So today we're going to talk about which vaccines should be provided during pregnancy. We're going to learn the data behind each of these vaccines and what the vaccines prevent. We'll also spend some time talking about how to counsel patients regarding vaccine safety profiles. Hey, this is a really timely topic. It's one that is near and dear to both of our hearts, I think. So excited to get into this. Readings for this topic, if you guys so choose, you guys should go to the CDC website and look at their excellent guidance on vaccines. Start it off, Faye. Which one do we want to tackle? So there are two that we're going to talk about today during the podcast. One is going to be the influenza vaccine, and then the second will be Tdap. And next time we'll talk about our postpartum vaccines. So let's start off with the flu vaccine. So there are many, many different types of flu vaccines. Usually the ones that we are most comfortable with are the quadrivalent vaccines. This is a vaccine that's injected into the muscle, and they are available for different people, including children's adults and older adults. There are also trivalent vaccines, which are designed to protect against three flu viruses, which include influenza A, H1N1, and another influenza A. H3N2, and an influenza B virus. The quadrivalent will include an additional influenza B virus. Standard quadrivalent flu shots use virus that are grown in eggs, but if someone has an egg allergy, you can still give them the quad flu shot in a cell-based, which is an egg-free vaccine, also called flu cell vax. The vaccine can be given at any point during their pregnancy. So Nick, how does the flu shot work? Yeah, this is really interesting. I mean, I'm not a virologist at all, but this is just cool to know. So start off growing the virus in whatever medium, as you said, eggs for most of it, but then there's a cell version as well. And once the virus is grown, they're killed off and the viral antigen is purified. 
that's what gets injected. Ultimately, when that is injected, this causes an immune reaction in the human body, which ultimately will trigger an antibody production. Recall from way back in medical school that this kind of memory-based immunity can take up to two weeks to really develop. Anytime somebody gets the flu vaccine, probably one of the biggest complaints we all hear about is like, I feel like I got the flu from the Mm -hmm. flu vaccine. Or just, I got the flu. Every time I get the flu vaccine, I get the flu. Exactly. You hear it all the time. And it makes sense that people have that reaction, right? You People feel cruddy because it's triggering an immune response. It's doing what it's supposed to do. Mm-hmm. There's cytokine release, so you get fever, appetite suppression, cortisol release, all of those things that you feel when you actually do get the flu, but it doesn't last as long and you also don't get as sick. So bottom line, the flu vaccine does not give you the flu. Faye, I guess though we get a lot of hesitation from pregnant women in particular. Yeah. Why do we need to give it to pregnant Well, as you know, flu can cause devastating effects even in healthy people and especially in pregnant women. So according to the CDC, in the 2017 to 2018 season, there were 186 pediatric deaths. And 80% of these deaths occurred in children who had not received a flu vaccine. And similarly, in that year, there were 710,000 flu hospitalizations. Wow. So clearly, you know, the flu is still at large. It is still causing people to be very sick. And yes, you can die of flu, even though it's 2019. Hmm. Flu can present a heightened risk, especially for pregnant women, making them even more prone to severe illnesses from flu, such as getting pneumonia. They're more likely to be hospitalized and they're more likely to be admitted to the ICU. The good thing about the flu shot is that it can reduce a pregnant woman's risk of being hospitalized with flu by an average of 40%. And actually, those that receive the flu vaccine can help protect their babies from the flu for the first several months after birth. So by giving a pregnant woman the flu vaccine, you're not only protecting her from being hospitalized, from getting sick, from going to the ICU, you could potentially also be protecting her baby and preventing some of those pediatric deaths. Yeah. Win for doctors, win for moms, win for babies. Exactly. All right, so we'll cover a little bit more about the flu and, you know, the contents of the vaccine and how to counsel people about the flu vaccine a little bit later in this episode. Um, But what about Tdap, Nick? You know, that's definitely a vaccine that we give to pregnant women. So first of all, what is Tdap? Yeah, so Tdap is an acronym. It stands for tetanus, diphtheria, and acellular pertussis. These three bacteria, tetanus, diphtheria, pertussis, are all bacteria that produce toxins, which then cause their ultimate disease. Um, Tetanus classically is known as lockjaw, right? Mm -hmm. That kind of classic whole body paralysis and rigidity. Theria is one that probably we've never, at least I've never seen it before. Um, But it's a disease that causes throat swelling and particularly in children and can cause airway obstruction, making it difficult to breathe and swallow. Um, Pertussis is one that has been making the news a little bit recently, the whooping cough. And in particular for pregnancy, pertussis is what we're going for. Generally speaking, in a healthy population, non-pregnant patients, the recommendation is for a booster of Tdap every 10 years. But we do give a booster in pregnancy. And the reason for that is not really for the mom, but it's more for the baby. Again, that pertussis portion, baby can't get vaccinated until much later on and after birth. So By helping protect the baby against the whooping cough now, um, we save disease later on. The vaccine should be given, just as a little side note, at or after 27 weeks of pregnancy. Faye, how exactly does it work? 
Yeah, so recall that tetanus, diphtheria, and pertussis are all bacteria that create toxins, and these toxins are what ultimately cause the disease. So for all of these diseases, the toxin from the bacteria is actually taken and then inactivated. In other words, made not harmful. So therefore, it's no longer a toxin, but called a toxoid. So when the toxoid is given to patients, the vaccine will cause the patients again to have an immune response and their body will build up antibodies against these toxoids. And so ultimately, if they come in contact with the toxins, the body will remember what to do and that adaptive immune system is going to be able to come out and fight off those toxins. That's right. And again, this is a two-week process. And remember, just like getting any kind of vaccine, just like the flu, that immune response will initially make you feel bad. You're going to feel like you're sick. But it doesn't mean that you have the disease. So Nick, and let's talk about this again. Why should it be given? So yeah, a little bit more specifically now that we want mom to create antibodies and to pass these antibodies on to the newborns. Mm -hmm. Newborns are most particularly susceptible, again, to pertussis or whooping cough. Yep. They cannot receive, or they, meaning newborns, can't receive Tdap until two to three months of age. So there's this period of extreme susceptibility right at the beginning of life. Prior to the development of vaccines, every year the U.S. averaged around 500 to 600 cases of tetanus, 100,000 to 200,000 cases of diphtheria, and around 175,000 cases of pertussis. And prior to the vaccine development in the 1940s, there were about 9,000 annual deaths from pertussis. Now we only see about 10 to 40,000 cases each year of pertussis and only about 20 deaths a year. So dropping from 9,000 deaths annually to 20 deaths annually, I think that's an argument for how this is really an intervention that saves lives. Exactly. Vaccines work. Okay. So kind of the, the next section that we're going to talk about is the big part with counseling of patients in terms of just convincing folks that vaccines definitely are safe. And there's good data to support that. So, Faye, let's start with the flu vaccine. Um, What exactly is in the flu vaccine? Yeah, so the reason I'm including this in this podcast, Nick, is that I think, you know, we as doctors don't necessarily read the labels and look at every single ingredient that goes into a vaccine, but this is a huge part of the anti-vaxxer movement where they're taking each individual component of a vaccine and talking about how toxic and how Mm. it is their toxins that we're putting into our children's bodies. And so I kind of want to debunk some of those things and allow our, you know, fellow residents and attendings and fellows to talk to patients about each of these ingredients and say, no, actually they're not toxins and they're not going to be harmful for you or your child. There are a ton of flu vaccines out there, but I'm going to talk about a popular one, which is flu zone, and we're going to kind of go through a lot of the ingredients that are in there. So the first one that I think people are scared about is formaldehyde. The formaldehyde is used to inactivate viruses and detoxify bacterial toxins. And people are concerned because they hear that formaldehyde is used in glues and adhesives, it's used in preserving dead bodies, you know, it's used in insulation materials, and in high levels and with long-term exposure, formaldehyde is linked to cancer development. Is it safe in a vaccine? Yes, it absolutely is. And how is that possible? So formaldehyde, just like a lot of other chemicals out there, are always present in a trace amount in humans, and it is a normal part of our metabolism. It's in the air. It's all around us. 
In a normal two-month-old, there's about 1.1 milligrams of formaldehyde circulating in the body, okay? That's not something that you can prevent. That's just you having the baby and the baby being exposed to air. So this is actually that 1.1 milligram in a two-month-old is about 50 to 70 times more formaldehyde than is present in one dose of vaccines. Wow. So getting a vaccine is absolutely not going to harm your baby or you because it is definitely a tiny, tiny amount compared to just as what is already in your body from being alive. Oh, that's great context, Faye. Yeah. Next is egg protein. If you eat eggs, you're fine. If you have an <laughs> egg allergy, get the flu vaccine that isn't grown in egg. We'll also talk about octalphenol ethoxylate, which is Tritonex 100. This is basically a detergent. And again, I won't spend a long time on this because it's, it's again present only in trace amounts. And finally, the last one is thimerosal. And I think this one is the one that anti-vaxxers have kind of jumped on and says, thimerosal, it's made with mercury. Yep, absolutely. I hear the chants from the streets now about thimerosal. <laughs> exactly. So why is it used in the flu vaccine? It's a mercury-containing ingredient and it acts as a preservative. And of course, people are concerned because it has the word mercury in it. And large amounts, of course, of mercury can be harmful, right? So the first thing is to understand chemistry because mercury just by itself can be present in multiple different compounds and it is not necessarily harmful in certain compounds compared to others. Okay. So in vaccines in thimerosal, mercury is present as ethylmercury, which is different from methylmercury, which is the mercury compound that is harmful. Ethylmercury is much more quickly metabolized and removed from your body. Think of this as being afraid of sodium. So sodium on its own will explode if you put it in water. However, sodium as sodium chloride is the salt that you put on your food that's delicious to eat. And even now, if you are concerned about thimerosal, it's only present in multi-dose flu vaccines. So Nick, clearly I'm very passionate about this topic. So I'm going to back off now and let you talk about the side effects of the flu vaccine. Yeah, no. So I think there are tons and tons of stories about the flu vaccine gave me this, the flu vaccine gave me that flu vaccine did this to me or that to me, there's data. And we can talk exactly about what we would expect from the flu vaccine. Mm -hmm. So you stick a needle in your arm. There's going to be soreness at the site of that injection and probably some redness there too. And I Absolutely. think that that's easily expected. Again, we're provoking an immune response. So patients may feel feverish. They may feel achy. They may even get like just kind of general malaise going on just as if they were ill. Again, we're provoking an immune reaction. Um, but even then, these symptoms only are present in about 1% to 2% of patients who receive a flu vaccine. So it's exceedingly uncommon. There can be serious allergic reactions to particular ingredients in the flu vaccine, as we mentioned. You know, there's egg, and people who have egg allergy can certainly suffer an allergic reaction. Um, some patients may be allergic to other components of the flu vaccine. But again, we're talking about true hypersensitivity reactions here. We're not talking about the sort of allergy, oh, it made me nauseous, right? Like these are you no know, big anaphylactic reactions and again are exceedingly uncommon. The last one that's kind of, I think gets a lot of media attention um, or gets a lot of play on the airwaves is Guillain-Barre syndrome. Just as a reminder, Guillain-Barre syndrome is a rare disorder when body's immune system causes damage to nerve cells, usually leading to a decreased sensation and an ascending paralysis. There is an increase of one case of Guillain-Barre syndrome for every one million doses of flu vaccine that's given. Let me repeat. 
one case increase of GBS for every 1 million doses of flu vaccine that's given. It is much more likely to happen after contracting the flu itself or another flu-like illness. We learn in medical school there are a number of illnesses like Ampelobacter and other things that are much more highly associated with Guillain-Barre syndrome. And the flu itself is much more highly associated with Guillain-Barre syndrome than the flu vaccine. So please vaccinate for the flu. I guess we got to take turns here, Faye, because we're all getting like sort of temperamental with each little moment here. That's true. Um, but I think that we've covered the flu pretty well. So let's jump back to Tdap. All right. Let's go into Tdap. And again, I'm going to go over some of the ingredients in the Tdap vaccine, mostly focusing on the ones that people have concerns about. So first is aluminum phosphate. Aluminum is included in certain vaccines as an adjuvant. So what that means is it makes the vaccine more effective by strengthening the immune system response. So you actually need fewer doses of a vaccine to build that immunity. So why are people concerned? Basically, there's been a concern that long-term exposure to high amounts of aluminum can contribute to brain and bone disease. However, the reason this is not a concern for vaccines is that there is always a trace amount of aluminum in water, food, even breast milk. Just like many, many other chemicals out there, it is always present in trace amounts in our body, in the air. Just by living, you're going to be exposed to aluminum. What's in the vaccine exactly? So again, I just want to put this in context. So in a breast-fed infant, they will ingest about 7 milligrams of aluminum in their first six months of life. The standard vaccine administered over the first six months of life averaged to just 4.4 milligrams. And the amount in a single vaccine is so small that there is no noticeable raise in the base amount found in the blood of aluminum, even immediately after injection. So basically, in terms of how much a breastfed infant is being exposed to aluminum, they're being exposed to more aluminum just by drinking breast milk. Which everybody kind of agrees is great nutrition for the baby. Exactly. Other things that are included in the Tdap, we talked about formaldehyde. And essentially, everything that has been tested in these vaccines, vaccines are highly, highly regulated and have been tested in multiple different randomized controlled trials, and we know that they're safe. Everything that is present in a vaccine is present really in tiny amounts that you may be exposed to anyway just by living. All right, Nick, so what about side effects from Tdap? Yeah, so not much to add here. Fortunately, because there aren't a lot of side effects. Um, it's pretty much the same as what we talked about for the flu vaccine. There's going to be some soreness at the site of injection, maybe some redness because, again, got your arm stabbed with a needle. Um, and then maybe some kind of reaction afterwards that make you feel a little bit sick. So maybe some fever, malaise, headache. Again, not insignificant amounts at all. Um, not a reason to not vaccinate. And Nick, I think, you know, we have to end this podcast with this question, right? Because I think our patients are going to ask us, do vaccines cause autism? I think that we can easily and thoroughly say the answer to that is no at this point. There's a lot of history in terms of the data of this, and there's a lot of controversy in actually how this link even came out. Um, I don't know if I can recommend like a John Oliver uh, segment from last week tonight, but there's a great one that goes through this history very, very in depth. And it's very interesting for those who are inclined to know about this. Um, but Faye, give us a little summary. What exactly happens that caused this rumor to come about? 
Yeah, so the first thing that happened was that in 1998, The Lancet published an article by Dr. Andrew Wakefield and his colleagues, which stated that there was a link of autism to receiving the MMR vaccine. The claim came from the investigation of a series of 12 children who were referred to the Royal Free Hospital and School of Medicine who had autism. And parents of eight out of the 12 children associated their children's loss of acquired skill immediately after receiving their MMR vaccine. While this seems like there could be a link, in fact, once there was investigation into what was going on, we found that these children were actually carefully selected by Dr. Wakefield. And some of Wakefield's research was funded by lawyers for the parents who were involved in lawsuits against vaccine manufacturers. So clearly, this is not good research. It is very biased. And so, you know, we need to definitely take that data with a grain of salt. And since then, there have been multiple, multiple studies that show that vaccines, in fact, are not associated with autism especially a 2013 study that showed that total vaccines, meaning the number of vaccines received, were the same in children who had autism and those that did not. All right, Nick, so now that we've gotten to the end of this topic, let's go ahead and summarize. All right, so today we spent time talking about vaccines that should be given in pregnancy, influenza vaccine, and Tdap vaccine. To start, just to review the flu vaccine, it's a quadrivalent vaccine, generally meaning that there's two influenza A and two influenza B viruses that it protects against. There are other forms that are trivalent vaccines. Um, The way that it works is that, again, you inject it or inject the purified antigen, I should say, um, and that provokes an immune response. We give it to pregnant women because flu can be devastating, causing hospitalization, serious illness, and death. We also give the Tdap vaccine at 27 to 36 weeks of pregnancy. The Tdap prevents against tetanus, diphtheria, and pertussis. And the reason we give it to pregnant women at this time is not necessarily for the woman, as most people just need a booster every 10 years. It's actually for the woman to pass on these antibodies to her baby, who is unable to get the Tdap vaccine until two to three months of age. And for very young babies, uh, whooping cough can be deadly. We then went into the vaccine safety profiles of each of these vaccines. For the flu in particular, the ingredients that people get concerned about are formaldehyde, which we mentioned there's more formaldehyde, 50 to 70 times more formaldehyde circulating in a normal two-month-old body than there is in the vaccine. There's egg protein, which admittedly can be a concern in those who have true hypersensitivity to egg. And then thimerosal, which is only now available in flu vaccines that are in multi-dose vials. Side effects of the flu vaccine include soreness at the site of injection and some redness. Very rarely, it can cause fever and feeling achy in 1-2% to of people who receive the flu vaccine. Of course, in a very small amount, it can cause a serious allergic reaction. And in those that have had allergic reactions to the flu vaccine, um, they should not receive those formulations of the flu vaccine. And finally, with regards to Guillain-Barre, we know that there is an increase of one case of Guillain-Barre syndrome for every one million doses of flu vaccine given. It is much more likely for someone to develop Guillain-Barre after contracting the flu or flu-like illnesses. With respect to Tdap, we talked about the ingredient that's most concerning to patients being the aluminum phosphate that's used as an adjuvant to strengthen the immune response. So you ultimately need fewer doses of the vaccine to build immunity. 
That said, a breastfed infant will have about seven milligrams of aluminum within their first six months of life. And the standard amount administered in vaccines over six months of life averages to just 4.4 milligrams. So a breastfed infant is getting exposed to more aluminum than these vaccines. We also reviewed some other ingredients that are similar to those that are in the flu shot. Again, these ingredients are tested, safety profiled. They're there in tiny, tiny amounts. Side effects for the Tdap vaccine are very similar to the flu. These include redness and soreness at the site of injection and less commonly fever, nausea, vomiting, headache, and just feeling like you're sick overall. Lastly, we touched upon whether vaccines may cause autism or not in the history of that. And Faye, the ultimate conclusion was? No. We'll say it again. Vaccines do not cause autism. All right. So once again, this is Nick. This is Faye. And this has been Creogs Over Coffee. If you enjoyed this podcast, go ahead and go on iTunes or any of your other favorite podcatchers and give us a five-star rating and review. Find us online on Facebook at Creogs Over Coffee, on our newest social media handle on Instagram at Creogs Over Coffee, on Twitter at Creogs Over Coffee 1, or on our Patreon, patreon.com slash Creogs Over Coffee, where you can sign up and get some cool swag. Found any inaccuracies on this show or want to suggest a new topic for us to talk about? Go ahead and email us at creogsovercoffee at gmail.com. Please do not email us telling vaccines cause autism.